When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on cable. Bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Starting on August 21st, you can watch A Separation. Also starting on the 21st, don't miss Bernie, starring Jack Black, Shirley MacLaine, and Matthew McConaughey. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The art house is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to have a long discussion about movies and then spend the next five years trying to edit it into something we can actually release to the public as we review Kenneth Lonergan's Margaret. Later in the show, we'll bring you cue shots, our look at some of the current offerings on different streaming and VOD sites, all centered around a common theme. Inspired by Margaret, we thought this week we would look at some other movies in which a hat plays a significant role. But then, of course, we got into a fight, potentially a, a show-ending fight. It was bad. The partnership was almost torn asunder when we could not decide who would get to talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark. So instead, we thought we would take a look at some films about teenagers. But first up is Opening Break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight one recommended title and give you a rundown of a few other notable films new on demand on cable. Matt, what's our pick this week? Our pick this week is A Separation, the 2011 film directed by Asghar Farhadi. This was one of our favorite movies of the year. It was on both of our top ten lists last year. It was. Yeah, so this is a, a must-see. you got to make sure you see this movie. It's about an Iranian husband and wife. Uh, and they decide to separate because the wife wants to take their their daughter out of Iran because she thinks she'll have a better life, she'll have a better upbringing somewhere else. But the husband doesn't agree, doesn't want to leave. His father is ill. He has Alzheimer's. He needs constant care. He can't really be moved. He doesn't want to leave. So they decide to separate. The wife moves out, which means someone else needs to come and take care of the ill father while the husband is working during the day. He hires this woman to be the caretaker, but that creates its own complications because of what women can and can't do in Iran because of the laws. So, for example, like if the father wets himself because he's ill, she technically can't really clean him up because she can't see him naked. It goes against her religion. It creates a huge set of problems. So there's already these complications when an incident happens, which we won't describe or explain, but that kind of sets off the rest of the movie, which sort of mutates the movie from this kind of marital drama into almost like a 
legal thriller and even more than that, almost almost like a moral thriller who is right and who is wrong and what determines it is it custom is it religion is it the law it just is this amazingly complicated moral situation in which what has happened it's almost like Rashomon in the sense that these two people have a different perception of what happened but we we saw what happened but we kind of keep learning new things and our opinion of what we've seen kind of keeps changing and mutating over time as we learn more and more. And it's just an amazingly complicated and rich movie. <laughs> You know, this is a film that was so highly praised, but I think it's one that still is in danger of sounding a little stodgy. You know, mm. when you hear about it, you're like, oh, it's this, it's a contemporary Iranian drama about the situ, you know, like all the situations in terms of social pressures and religious pressures in the country today. But it is a fantastic human drama. Right. Like, this is a great, uh, interesting, uh, tense film that you you're concerned about every character in this in this movie you yes. want good things for them and you worry about them yes and i think that there's something really remarkable about what it achieves in that regard there are no particular good or bad guys and it does show an almost impossible situation in which there's no there's no good way out at right. the end. Impossible, but also totally believable. Yes. Like, it's not outlandish. It's impossible in terms of it's impossible to decide who is right and who is wrong. But you're right. All the characters are are at times likable and at times unlikable, and sometimes both at the same time. But we always kind of understand their point of view, and that does make for, like, a really rich and fun, in a way, a fun film to watch. You know, maybe not lighthearted fun, but just gripping. It's absorbing. You're just totally involved in the situation the entire time. Yeah, and some great performances from these actors. Uh, they're, they're four main adults in the film, and they're all really exceptional. So that's A Separation, very highly recommended, and it will be available on VOD on August 21st. Two more picks for you. Both of these are going to be available on VOD on August 21st as well. The first is Bernie, directed by Richard Linklater, and it finds him going back to his native Texas for an extremely Texan tale based on a true story in which Jack Black plays an assistant mortician who is basically ideally suited to life in this small town, beloved in this small town, and becomes the close companion of an elderly widow, played by Shirley MacLaine. They get into a very close, possibly uh, too close, relationship and it it ends let's just say badly and this is both a kind of tragic tale but one that's very funny and just so filled with this rich local color including the fact that the whole story is narrated by this like chorus of locals who do these interviews in between that uh, in which they talk about the characters and talked about talk about what happened right so very funny and very very uh, uniquely Linklater, I think, and a very good performance from Jack Black. So that's Bernie. And then the other film is Side by Side, which is uh, actually getting a day and date with its theatrical release uh, coming out on VOD. And I have not seen this film yet, but I've heard very many interesting things about it, and I'm, I can't wait to see it. It's directed by Christopher Keneally, 
and uh, is hosted by and produced by Keanu Reeves. It's a documentary about the shift from, uh, you know, film, film, film to, to digital. Yes, film to digital that uh, involves interviews with directors like David Fincher, Steven Soderbergh, Christopher Nolan, but also editors and DPs and is a very serious, if you're a cinephile, it's a very serious conversation about the pluses and minuses of moving to digital, mm. the things that it gets you and the limitations that it brings. And, uh, you know, it's a, a, not a nostalgic film uh, about film. It is actually pretty clear-eyed about about this process and also about the fact that the move has pretty much been made. Right. So uh, really interesting sounding and uh, I think, you know, very relevant. If you're a big film fan, then this is something you're going to want to uh, to learn about. I've heard good things. I'm looking forward to seeing it myself. I'm really interested in the topic. Obviously, it kind of goes right into our wheelhouse there. When is When are those two available? Those again? are both on August 21st. So that's uh, Side by Side and Bernie. All right, it's time now for Cue Shots, and this week we are talking about teenager films, movies about teenagers. Allison, before we get to our picks, anything we want to say in a general sense about teen films? As you were assembling your picks, what did you discover? What did you find? Well, you know, looking at, uh, there's some of the most popular obvious picks out there. Uh, Just looking through them, I did think like, those do not really resemble what my high school experience was like. Mm. Uh, you know, there are some obvious common experiences about um, social pressures, about just being young. But that, in terms of what a lot of the famous teen movies look like, they did not look like my high school, which was a, a suburban Northern California high school. So I wanted to ask you, Matt, like, if the, is there a film out there that you feel is actually pretty close to what your high school was like? Very close to what my high school was like. Or or your particular or my, high school my experience. experience. Yeah. I mean, the one that I would think of would be American Pie, which came out the year after I graduated from high school and did feel to some degree like it captured, if not my high school, what it felt like to go to high school at that time. I feel like if I explain some of the things that I related to, it would forever embarrass me so maybe i'll just keep those to myself <laughs> but some of the things that happened to the protagonist in that movie i, I could relate deeply to curious not necessarily <laughs> any of the things involving pies uh-huh. or being watched while having sex on the internet right but there are elements actually of several characters who i just in that movie who you relate to or at least i i could say i recognize a kernel of truth in this movie so that would be probably the one obviously it's still you know, with the pies and the uh, and the internet watching of of people having sex, it's a, it's it's outrageous. But there's there's something in there that I could recognize. You couldn't think of any for yourself. That oh yeah, I mean, I, I hit would the say, mark. I would say that uh, before it goes like it escalates into like kind of violence and drug use. Uh, better luck tomorrow. Actually, okay. yeah. it was uh, you know. Going to a high school that had uh, um, like a giant Asian population as well, and that like I, you know, most of my friends were Asian. We were all extremely academically competitive, mm-hmm. and um, you know, very good students. There was something really. I remember when that film came out, just being like, there was uh, something almost revelatory just about seeing people like that on screen because they're just you didn't see that ever, and to also not have, not have uh, like. Asian American teenagers presented as all like perfect model minority, you know, mm. to also say like they have their own um, problems, they have their own uh, like petty kind of um, 
law breaking and schemes and uh and complicated actual human beings right exactly not just a stereotype and not just like uh people who study all of the time you know and i feel like having seen uh token asian students in movies usually just be assigned that Mm -hmm. you know traditionally in the past of movies and it's fortunately changing but to see like a whole also a whole cast and you know to look at that cast john cho and um, sun kang there are a lot of the actors that you still see on screen today Mm -hmm. in the fairly limited roles that there are so i did remember like that was a big deal it is kind of interesting just your last point about mentioning these actors who've gone on to have great careers and stuff it is funny how many of like the classic high school movies invariably have casts that you remember and that went on to great things as if that is in some way like a key part of making a great high school movie is the casting and finding really talented actors, you know, and that the bad movies often have the ones with the kind of so-so cast and obviously writing and directing and all that plays a role. But sometimes a great performance in one of these movies can elevate mediocre material into another stratosphere. One of the things that I was thinking when I was putting together my list was how few like sort of like classic movies about teenagers there are so many movies about teenagers but how few of them kind of treat the subject artistically or with more to say than just kind of like jokes like even a movie like american pie which i enjoy and love like it's not high art it is you know it's a gross out comedy you know like that's kind of the the classic style of movie to make and we have movies that do defy that trend i think the movie we're going to discuss later margaret is a pretty great example of something very serious and you know amazing about teenagers obviously there's rebel without a cause there are other examples but it's not a given the staggering number of movies about teenagers there aren't a lot of like classic great films about teenagers well i wonder also if there's something to the fact that there's a they're so culturally specific, you know, like to a particular time and a, to a particular place. Mm. Uh, you know, I ended up picking, uh, when I was looking through just a list of off the top of my head, the movies about teenagers that I really liked. Most of them were, all of them, the ones that I ended up picking were made within my lifetime. Huh. Uh, not necessarily set during that period, but, you know, made within my lifetime and, uh, just I, I wonder and all American actually now that I look at it and I wonder if there's something to that that like when you make a movie about teenagers that that you tend to let like lean on that type of recognition as opposed to something a little more universal hmm. and that's why there aren't a lot of classics in that sense hmm. I was also thinking how often you see movies about teenagers that portray teenager dumb I don't want to say in a negative light, but that not in the most positive or even sympathetic way. I feel like a lot of teen movies, they're made for teenagers. They're exploiting this market, but they're, I feel like they're sometimes even made by very cynical people like that are almost jealous of teenagers. Do you ever get that sense when you're watching a movie about teenagers that they somehow are envious of their youth? And, you know, how many horror movies are just about like, punishing teenagers for their youth and their desire to you know have sex and to be free and their innocence it's like it's a lot of movies like that they're that just about punishment of teenagers right or i think a kind of maybe over the top celebration of them but i think about the breakfast club which is still obviously a movie i enjoy a lot mm-hmm. but the end the kind of like self-pity mm-hmm. about like you know about growing up and this generational divide kind of like it seems 
pretty maudlin. Like, I'm sure I related to it a lot more <laughs> when I was closer to that age. Right. But, you know, looking at it now as an adult, it's it's a sentiment I have a hard time kind of getting behind. Yeah, we should say that there's not a lot of John Hughes movies available on streaming. So if you're expecting to hear some John Hughes coming up, you may not. Uh, Weird Science is available on Netflix, I know, because I watched a little bit of it in preparation for this show. But I think that's about it. One last thing before we get to our picks. I do think it's interesting... Also, how those stereotypes of the people in high school have not changed all that much over time. You go back even 10 years and you'll still see movies that involve jocks and nerds and cheerleaders and goths and outcasts and all that sort of thing. But then just recently, you see a movie like 21 Jump Street where the characters are, you know, sent into high school undercover And they find a high school that looks totally different than the one they remember, which is the one I just described. (laughs) And the high school of 2012 is the the, The the dorks. The glee school. Yeah, the glee school. (laughs) And the dorks rule the school. And and they're the cool kids. We're getting old enough that we're getting pretty far removed from (laughs) From high school. school, So I have no idea whether that's accurate or not. I did think that was really interesting. I'm wondering if maybe some of our younger listeners can write in and, and say whether they felt that that kind of description of high school was on the nose or not. I'd be I'd be interested to hear. They can email us at feedback at filmspottingsvu.com. I was very curious when I was watching that. I enjoyed that movie a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure how accurate it is or not. There may not be undercover policemen in high schools around the country. No. I don't know. I don't know. All right, should we get to our picks? Let's do that. All right, what's your first teenager movie? All right, well, I feel like I should start off with a mean teenager movie since we just talked about uh, how apparently teen like schools are overrun with positivity now and acceptance. Mm. Boo. Boo-hoo. Yeah, so my first pick is uh, Heather's 1988 film directed by Michael Lehman. Kind of a cult classic for a good reason. You're going back and rewatching a little bit of this movie, which I hadn't seen in a while. It is amazing how dark this movie is. It's darker than I think a lot of a lot of more recent films uh, that try and do a dark take on teenage uh, on on high school life. Uh, by far, you know, you have uh, Winona Ryder as Veronica, who is for whatever reason has managed to become friends with the three popular girls in school who are all named Heather, and who are cruel and miserable. And there's a kind of like self enforced um, hierarchy. In which uh, they, you know, they rule the school, but they also, they're tyrants and uh, and jealous of each other. And then along comes this character played by Christian Slater, who is an outsider who Veronica falls in love with, but who also actually is going to go around killing people in the school and making it look like suicide. Heather Chandler. Heather McNamara. Heather Duke. Veronica Sawyer. Why are you such a mega brat? Because I can be. The most powerful clique at Westerberg. Not Veronica. Drool much? Most people would die to get into it. Heather number one just looked right at me. I'm worshipped Westerberg, and I'm only a junior. Veronica would kill to get out of it. You were nothing before you met me. You were a Girl Scout cookie. JD has come to answer her prayers. I'm a no-rest build-up man myself. Well, killer. The darkest part of this film is not the fact that uh, there is a murdering student, but the fact that the way the school responds to the suicide, to the rash of suicides, which is um, to essentially kind of like internalize it and make it something that's almost a trend. 
there's a part where a genuinely unpopular character actually tries to commit suicide by walking into traffic and survives. And she's basically mocked for, uh, you know, trying to act like the cool kids, which is horrifying. <laughs> it is of its era. I mean, you've got Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. But I think it does actually, it is actually a bit more universal than a lot of other 80s teen comedies. And it still definitely does feel fresh and a little bit surprising that it was ever made, frankly, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, taking a look at it uh, and, and has, uh, you know, Considering it's a movie in which there's a, a school rally where everyone's cheering while there's a bomb under the bleachers, it ends on a note of weird uplift uh, that I think is pretty remarkable and a pretty great ending for a film that, uh, you know, in an almost incomprehensible way. So uh, that's Heather's, which is streaming on Netflix. And, uh, you know, you know you want to watch it again. I I don't know because I've never seen it. You've do never I, seen Heather's? Do I need – that's what I was going to say. Do I need to see it for the first time? Is it the sort of movie that won't that will mean something to a 31-year-old oh, man? Oh, definitely. I am shocked, Matt. I, this is like the most shocked I think I've ever been talking to you. Really? Yes. Um, yes. In fact, I, I think that – I would be very curious to hear what you think about it as someone as someone seeing it first uh, for at the first age. time at this age. But I think it does hold up remarkably well. All right. Yes. All right. I'll have to see it. Okay. Well, my first pick is from 1998. It is also available on Netflix. It is a film called The Faculty, which I feel <laughs> is now kind of almost like a forgotten movie. You never yeah. hear it mentioned. I don't know how successful it was at the time. It was directed by Robert Rodriguez, who's still going I've heard of him yeah still going strong yeah. still had a thriving career it was sort of the last movie or one of the last movies he made before he kind of retreated into sort of his very insular Robert Rodriguezian world you know where all the movies kind of intersect and they're either all about kids or written by his kids or for kids this one is it feels more more real to some degree although it is about an alien invasion (laughs) i had really forgotten a lot about this movie myself which actually now that you mentioned the end of heather's obliquely also ends with a confrontation under the bleachers interesting this movie actually features two people who i would have guessed would have never appeared in a movie together harry knowles and usher (laughs) <laughs> they are both in this film, along with Elijah Wood, Josh Hartnett, Jordana Brewster, many, many more. Robert Patrick, John Stewart, Christopher McDonald, Salma Hayek, Fimke Jansen. Obviously, a lot of those people are playing the titular faculty, not the teenagers. But it is a really, really good cast and a really, really bad haircut on the part of Josh Hartnett. Maybe the worst haircut. I don't know if you He's remember his hair. He's very bad haircuts, though. But, but his haircut in this movie, I'm going to go out on a limb, not just him. I'm going to say it's one of the worst haircuts in the history of of film dumb strong words strong words but just take a look at this movie on netflix and try to think of someone who has a worse (laughs) haircut it's really short in the front and it's kind of longish in the back and it has points he has points in the sort of in the on the back sides of his hair it's ridiculous anyway the movie is sort of a teenage set version of invasion of the body snatchers or even the thing the you know the classic Howard Hawks and then John Carpenter movie about the guy stuck with this crazy alien that can change its shape because that's sort of what happens here. The These aliens land in Ohio and start taking over the faculty and they can can take over their minds without changing their shape. And it's hard to tell who is infected or who's been taken over, turned into a pod person and who is not. And it plays a lot with the idea of high school and conformity no more pencils no more books no more teachers dirty looks 
The students at Harrington High have always suspected their teachers were from another planet. Is this going to be on the test? This is the test. This time, they're right. It kind of has two twin fears. It's sort of the fear of conformity and also the fear of adulthood. It's almost as if because the infection kind of starts with the adults, it's almost this idea that like turning into an adult is somehow an infection or somehow is a disease and you have to fight becoming one of those people at all costs. I like the way that it kind of makes drugs uh, a heroic aspect of the characters. Drugs are sort of the secret to defeating the aliens, so you have to take drugs to prove you're a real person. There's kind of a really clever riff on the scene in The Thing where they all have to prove they're human by testing the blood. In this one, you have to prove you're human by taking drugs. It's a really fun scene. And uh, it's just a very clever sort of combination of the classic teenager movie tropes and that invasion of the body snatchers thing. And it's very well made by Robert Rodriguez. And I'm sort of surprised that it doesn't have a better reputation. I, I looked at it again. I rewatched the whole movie. It's clever. It's kind of scary. It's fun. It's smart. Great cast. I think it holds up really well. I think it deserves to kind of be a better regarded movie than it is so that's the faculty and it is available on netflix okay my next pick is from 2005 and it is brick which is streaming on netflix it's a directorial debut of ryan johnson who went on to make the brothers bloom and now has looper coming out soon and uh it was his breakout film as well and one that I think when you hear when you hear about it, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, and I do really recommend it, when you hear about it, it sounds incredibly gimmicky in ways that may drive you away, but it's not that type of film. So uh, it's set in a Southern California high school, but it is all the dialogue and the plot is essentially one out of a kind of hard-boiled noir. Uh, people talk in this very stylized way. It stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Brendan, who is the, essentially the detective character who uh, sets out trying to help his ex-girlfriend, played by Emily de Ravine, uh, and, and then later to solve her murder uh, when she's found dead. And there's this whole world of high school, and there's a whole world of uh, like a kind of drug underworld, and thugs, and dealers, and rivalries, and uh, kind of looking for the brick in question, which uh, turns out to be drug-related. Emily said four words I didn't know. Tell me if they catch. Brick? No. Or bad brick? Nope. Tug? Tug. Tug might be a drink. Like milk and vodka, or something. Poor Frisco? Frisco. Frisco Farr was a sophomore last year. Real trash. Maybe had a class a week. Didn't know then. Hadn't seen room. Pin? Pin. The pin? The pin, yeah. Pin's kind of a local spook store. You know the kingpin. I've heard it. Same thing. It's supposed to be old, like 26. Lives in town. Dope runner, right? Big time. See, the pin pipes it from Lois Scrapper to Brad Bramish himself. Maybe. I think that what this film does really remarkably... Beyond just like making this this really uh, hard boiled world fit into into a high school in ways that are both funny but pretty cute and uh, but and clever as well, is that it makes this insular, deeply serious world seem like a metaphor for the kind of drama of teenage life and for the insular like the codes that are uh, unique to teenage life. 
and for the way that uh, you can exclude or start to exclude grown-ups from that, uh, for you know, um, authority figures from that world. You have characters who who say things like "I couldn't hack a life with you," which is like a like a very ridiculously dramatic line that works perfectly in in this context because not just does it fit with the stylization of the movie, but also you can tell they mean it. Like these are deeply melodramatic, uh, deeply serious teenagers, uh, and I think that that it becomes a really good stylized depiction of of life as a teenager in that sense in which it feels like there's no kind of outside world in which it feels like everything is kind of the potential dramatic end, uh, end of things. So uh, a really great movie. Uh, and I think a really strong debut that's brick and it is streaming on Netflix. All right. Well, from teenagers as detectives to teenagers as superheroes, my next movie is Chronicle from earlier this year, 2012, directed by Josh Trank. It's available now on iTunes. So many of the real superhero stories, particularly the ones by Marvel Comics that we all know, like Spider-Man and the X-Men, even the Human Torch from Fantastic Four to some degree, they all use superheroes and superpowers as metaphors for adolescents. They're all about teenagers, but they all tell basically positive stories of teenagers you know spider-man learns with great power comes great responsibility and the x-men use their powers to save humanity even though humanity kind of wants to kill them and here is a movie that sort of takes that idea and kind of updates it and looks at what would they really do if they got these sorts of powers especially if they didn't have the sorts of good teachers and role models that spider-man and the x-men do if there was no uncle ben if there was no professor x what would happen to someone like a peter parker and what we see is it would go pretty badly. Um, we have three teenagers in this movie. The main one who decides he's going to start filming himself primarily because he's being abused by his father, who's an alcoholic. So he, he's kind of like collecting evidence against his father and his his cruelty. He starts filming himself and everything in his daily life. And just by sheer accident, he and a friend or a cousin, really, and another guy who they're not even really friendly with stumble on this hole in the ground where they find this strange potentially alien artifact and it gives them superpowers specifically like telekinesis they can move things with their minds and eventually they learn how to basically use this in all sorts of ways including to fly watch this dude holy that's why I think we're getting stronger, you know? She thinks it's so it's no idea. Yes, it was the black guy this time. Because <laughs> we're working it out. There's nothing stopping us. Where are you going? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's just some way that can help us. This guy's problem. Stop. Are you crazy? Why did you do that? What the hell is wrong with... What you see is what would happen in a quote-unquote real situation with uh, a character, a teenager, a really troubled teenager, discovered superpowers. And the answer is not all that great. Things would maybe go to a very dark place. And that's sort of what I liked about the movie is that it wasn't just your run-of-the-mill superhero story. It really found these moments, these authentic moments – that seemed very plausible within the scope of what would happen if a 17-year-old learned how to do things like this. And it, you really recognize, even in this fantastical story, this um, kind of very believable, grounded, dark idea about 
outcasts and outsiders and and how it feels to be one of them and then what happens when the tables are turned and suddenly the powerless become the powerful and i think there's something very interesting about that so that's chronicle it's available on itunes yeah i've heard really great things about it i haven't seen it yet but i do find that point you're bringing up of um why why is everyone who gets superpowers always kind of fundamentally good or positive you know underneath that like would use them for positive purposes i think the idea of of an outcast being like no maybe i don't want to maybe i want to use this for destruction right is, flirting is... with being a good guy but then but being so troubled and just so damaged right that, that that's not actually the direction that's, you go in right. i think that's a really interesting uh, idea and take on the superhero so my final pick uh having picked two i think uh slightly darker you know, darker gonna lighten things up. Yeah, a little. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a, for a comedy, and I think a real a classic and always enjoyable film, which is Dazed and Confused, 1993 film directed by Richard Linklater, available for rental on YouTube, Amazon, iTunes, and Vudu. Though I'm sure a lot of you probably own it. I, I know I do, and because it's such a great, uh, it's so rewatchable. So, um, set in 1976. You know, Linklater's film is about uh, the, the incoming freshmen and the rising seniors and everyone preparing for the start of the school year and having one great night out and party. And uh, I, you know, I think one of the things that Linklater's film does uh, so well is to be both incredibly fond of and kind of relish in the like the youth of its characters and in the kind of the the time that they have the time that they have to kind of enjoy being young while not uh kind of softening things incredibly with nostalgia and this is not a film that feels like it's doing a kind of trumped up version of the past it's one that feels very tangible it's all of its details feel very tangible and uh, and not particularly heightened in this uh you know grand idea of the 70s um you know the main character Mitch played by Wiley Wiggins does have an amazing night ultimately and gets to hang out with the cool kids and uh, gets to meet a girl he likes and uh, and not get grounded despite the fact that he stays out way past curfew. But he does also get the crap beaten out of him with a paddle by Fred O'Banion. You know, they're not all good things that happen. And it is a kind of epic journey. But also uh, just the many characters uh, that, that the film finds and the kind of groups that they're in, the unconventional groups that they're in, you have the popular kids, but you also have the kind of the philosophical kids. You have, uh, you know, the definitive Matthew McConaughey character, the 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 older guy who still hangs Wooderson. around. Wooderson, but like, a, was it the um, high school girls? I keep getting older. High school girls, man. So you're a freshman, right? Yeah. So tell me, man, how's this year's crop of freshman chicks look? <laughs> what you gonna end up in jail sometime really soon? I know that. Fact. No, man. Yeah. No, man, I'll tell you. Yeah. That's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older, they stay the same age. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. You know, it is a great film about just kind of whiling away summer hours in that way. Uh, I, I think that there's something really wonderful about that. Uh, and also, it has a remarkable ensemble cast. Um, I'm sure you know it well. But, uh, you, like, there are so many memorable characters in a pretty sprawling film, uh, which I think really speaks to both the performances and the the way that these characters are written. 
So that's Dazed and Confused, which you can rent on YouTube, Amazon, iTunes, and Vudu. Okay, and my last pick is a nice pairing with that because it takes sort of the similar structure of sort of one epic night in the lives of a bunch of teenagers that you saw in Dazed and Confused. Also saw in American Graffiti, a movie we haven't mentioned, but certainly a very influential uh, teen film. And kind of treats it with a little bit more of um, sort of a softer, sweeter, sensitive gloss. And I have to thank an SVU listener, Will Holston, for actually pointing out that this movie is available on Netflix Watch Instantly. I didn't notice that it was. And this is a great movie. And this is a nice recent overlooked film for people, if they haven't seen it, to check out. It's called The Myth of the American Sleepover. It won a special jury prize for Best Ensemble at South by Southwest. Very deservingly so, because it's this wonderful ensemble of all these characters. And what I like about this uh, this version of Teenage Dumb, sort of what we were saying about uh, 21 Jump Street in a very different tone of a movie is there aren't really jocks or nerds or cool kids in this movie. They're all just sort of, they're all just kids. They're like real kids and they're all sort of awkward and they're all kind of pretty and they, 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 they all have problems, you know, that everyone is kind of screwed up at that age. Even the more attractive, even the more popular kids. And it's set over the course of this one long night with all these different little stories that all kind of intertwine and interrelate. And there's just no stereotypes. There's no kind of big movie-ish stories uh, involved. It's all fairly – maybe that's not entirely true. Maybe there's one that's kind of ridiculous but treated very cleverly and very smartly and in a way that doesn't feel too heavy-handed or too unrealistic. And it, it's just a – it's a really, really good movie. If it's a, made for a you know almost no money, but it looks beautiful. It has a great cast, all unknown actors that the director, uh, David Robert Mitchell, found in, in Michigan and around where he's from. Shot it sort of where he's from. Shot it in this way where he kind of tried to avoid any symbols or signifiers of what year it is. So the clothes and the – No one uses a cell phone. You know, there's very few things to let you know this is 2011, I think, or 2010 when it maybe first came out. It has this kind of timeless, nostalgic quality to it, which is really beautiful. Hey, Jen. Whose house are you going to? Uh, Janelle Ramsey's sleepover. We're going to Tom Higgins. I guess guys don't call them sleepovers. (laughs) We do, just not in public. Is it just Kelvin Middle School kids there? Um, I don't know. Janelle's got friends from a couple different schools. Why? Rob's in love with this blonde girl who saw food mart this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll stop by later. Maybe she'll be there. Thanks. So I really recommend it. It's called The Myth of the American Sleepover. It's available on Netflix. And before we get to our main review, I just wanted to throw out some other picks that some of our listeners wrote in with. We had a lot of people on Twitter, our uh, Twitter account, twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu, writing in with some other suggestions. So I'm just going to run these by you, Allison. You can chime in if you have any thoughts. Greg Freegood mentioned Let the Right One In, Submarine, and Kick-Ass, all available on uh, Netflix. Mark Young threw out After School, a recent film, very disturbing, yeah, dark, dark version dark. of Teenager Dumb, to go along with some of your picks. Uh, listener M.R. Bowers recommended one of, right from our wheelhouse of teenagerness. I keep making up new words all the time. She's All That. Right. One of uh, your favorites, I'm definitely sure. Definitely one of my favorites, Rachel yes. Lee Cook and uh, Freddie Prince Jr. Exactly. Just really eerily like my high school experience, yeah. yeah. 
And Jacob Berman chimed in with Winter's Bone, which I wouldn't have thought of, but that's true. It is a teenager is a movie, yeah. Teenager movie. The subject is though, a teenager. It, though she, it's all about how she acts nothing like a teenager, right? Really. And has to act like an right. adult wandering through the Ozarks. You. Hey, Paul. Lisa Cohen. By any chance, would would you want to meet somewhere and like take away my virginity? Um. All right. Okay, and now we are at our listener's choice section. Uh, your pick was Margaret, kind of overwhelmingly. I think the number two pick was Cruising, but Margaret won out. This is a 2011 film written and directed by Kenneth Lonergan, who uh, is primarily known as a playwright. It's his follow-up film to his 2000 debut, You Can Count on Me, which we talked about briefly in episode one of Film Spotting SVU. Margaret had what you could, you know, generously describe as a troubled post-production period with Lonergan unable to come up with a final cut that he was happy with that also fit the 150-minute maximum runtime he was contracted to uh, by the studio. So this was originally scheduled for release in 2007. By the time it finally got its first theatrical premiere in 2011, just to show you uh, how long, kind of is a good example, two of the producers, Anthony Minghella and Sidney Pollock, had died. Yeah. <laughs> so in the opening credits as it runs, you see their names. Um, the film did build up a following despite a very small release, particularly amongst critics who rallied to be able to be given access to the film uh, for year-end top 10 list consideration. And it did also fare very well in its release over in the UK, despite the fact uh, that Lonergan is caught up in lawsuits because of the whole funding process and debacle. The film has received a lot of attention and an extended cut that's 40 minutes longer and has significantly different music was released on DVD. But we're focusing on the theatrical release because that's uh, what's available for streaming. So all that said, I haven't even actually touched on what the movie is about yet, um, which is what I thought I would turn into my first question for you, Matt. In brief, this is a film about a teenager named Lisa Cohen, played by Anna Paquin, who witnesses and plays a small part in a bus accident that leaves a woman dead. She spends the rest of the film trying to seek justice on this woman's behalf by helping her best friend file a wrongful death suit. But this and the surrounding storylines turn out to be this really incredibly thematically rich territory. So Matt, I wanted to ask you, what for you, as just kind of an impulse answer, is the foremost theme in this movie? Is it a coming-of-age movie? Is it about urban living, 9-11, mothers and daughters? What's off the top of your head? All of the above? All of the above. There's not one thing it that is, kind of... <laughs> it's a, such a dense movie. I mean, yeah. how do you say it's about one thing? I mean, as you said, it's... This version is like 150 minutes, and then the version that he recently released on DVD adds another 40 minutes. Even the short version is like overstuffed with ideas and themes and subplots and characters. And then when you get to the longer version, where there's extra characters, there's characters who had very small parts in the original version that are expanded... There's a lot going on. But it is a great movie about teenagers because it is such a vivid, realistic, 
portrait of teenager dumb. The main character, played by Anna Paquin, Lisa Cohen, is just so believable to me as a complicated, flawed teenager. She just has this stink of reality to her and to what she does and the way that she reacts to this tragedy which she both witnesses and participates in and then is frustrated by the way the rest of the world kind of doesn't react to it and the way that she takes it up as her cause and then is frustrated by the way that people react to her reaction to this just throughout it just seems so real and sometimes unflatteringly real. I yeah. mean, it is not a rose-colored portrait of this young woman. And the performance by Anna Paquin is just so amazing. And watching it again, this is the third time I've seen the movie. I saw it in the theater when it first came out, uh, like the first week of release with like five people in the room thinking, this is my last chance to see it. No one's ever going to see it. Before the kind of Team Margaret movement had caught on. And then we both saw it together not too long ago at the sort of New York premiere of that extended version where it was projected on the big screen in a low-res kind of version. It didn't look great. No. It was kind of tough to watch at at times because it was so low-res. And it it didn't look great on this big screen, on this kind of grainy, blurry version, which for three and something hours is kind of hard to watch. And then I'm just watching it again on my computer now, the theatrical cut again, and thinking this really might be the, the best, certainly one of the best, teenagers I've ever seen in a movie. It's amazing how the film captures both the uh, the kind of ego of being a teenager, but is also so remarkably sympathetic to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, kind of, uh, uh, I think that watching it, like watching it again this time, what it really seemed to me was about that first, that in addition to other things, that first shock of understanding mortality in the way that it kind of slowly reverberates in her mind, which is to understand that like, Someday you will die, and the world will not stop they for you. They won't care. The, yeah. the many people will not care and will go on. And that, you know, in a lot of ways, beyond just guilt that she feels, which is why she pursues this, uh, you know, the whole case and gets involved, is this real sense that, like, more attention should be paid to this woman who has friends and, like, was mourned, but that it was not ultimately a major thing that happened in the city that day. Uh, I do feel, I do agree. I mean, beyond Paquin's amazing performance, it is also just a kind of remarkably unflattering at times uh, portrayal of of being a teenager in that you understand that you're not the first person to experience all of these things. And yet you are kind of convinced that you are, that no one can understand you, that you understand other like experiences better than other people. One of the like the major relationship in this movie is uh, between Lisa and her mother is played by J. Smith Cameron in another great role. And their interactions are so good in how they fight. I, I think that like, there are a few movies in which uh, you see an actual realistic teenager fight in which someone's like being just totally bratty, but also being like, I'm not angry. You know, nothing's wrong. <laughs> which I, you know, you don't see very often. Only teenagers do that? You've stopped doing that? Well, I, I think I, it's still a useful technique. It definitely is. Yeah. Like, I'm fine. I'm not angry. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that it does go to show part of what the film does pretty remarkably, which is that it has this kind of crazy like radical empathy that it extends towards all of its characters Mm -hmm. you don't really ever have a character who doesn't seem to have a fully thought out life 
you know, you don't have a character who is there only to kind of showcase an aspect of your main character. Mm. Every person in this film seems to have a complicated They could all be the subject of their own Margaret. Exactly. And then there's another scene where she and her friend are smoking pot in the park. And, uh, you know, this uh, a teacher walks by and played uh, by Matthew Broderick Broderick, and uh, he's kind of like a dorky but well-meaning teacher and he sees them smoking pot and he's kind of mad at them because they're putting him in a situation where he either has to like break the rules and let them go or like report them Mm -hmm. and he leaves them and they kind of laugh at him as he walks away and the camera follows the back of his head as he can obviously hear them making fun of him Mm -hmm. and I feel like just to have that moment included where He's obviously like embarrassed and kind of hurt, and to linger on that a little bit just so that you realize to tell that, that scene from his perspective, for, from his perspective, rather than the teenager's yeah, perspective. which is like really unusual. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that there's nothing I can't really think of a film that does that right so, so well, which is to remind you, you are like one person in a city with like millions of individual stories. Yes, that also makes it a great New York film in addition to a great uh, teenager film. But you're right; it, it does have this huge scope even though it's it's all these tiny little dramas they collectively create this massive sort of tapestry and i think that's the problem that some people continue to have and especially initially had with it is that it is so messy when you asked me right at the start what is what is it, this movie that really resonates with you what is it about what isn't it about it's about life it's about everything it's about all these different components of life and the way that they all inter- intersect and the way all these different characters have their own huge dramas. But to everyone else, their huge dramas seem unimportant because everyone else is dealing with their own huge dramas, you know? And some of the best parts of the movie have nothing to do with the narrative, the main narrative of this death and with her trying to deal with it. The scene of the kids in Matthew Broderick's class where they're debating the meaning of this poem which in a sense is what we're doing here when we, you know, it's sort of a, a investigation of interpretation is so amazing. It doesn't have a ton to do with the main story, but it's an amazing little moment. The scene where she actually gets deflowered is so incredibly, uncomfortably brilliant. Uh, all these little moments, you know, the, the relationship between her mother and this businessman uh, played by Jean Reno, which I didn't really love the first time I saw the movie. I thought it was one of the weaker parts. But then when I saw the extended version and that character got more time and that relationship got more time and the the mother character got a lot more time to to be on screen and to let it be a mother-daughter story as opposed to a daughter's story. All of these little things are so amazing. And, and it is a lot more than just the story of a girl who's dealing with this trauma. They all add up to something huge yeah another thing that i think the film does really well in terms of being a new york story is the way that uh, you know it shows these characters existing in the larger city uh, in the in the longer version they uh these side conversations with strangers are more audible they're mm-hmm. a little bit they're present in the theatrical cut but that they're blown up a lot more in uh in the extended version to the to it's in in this way that they actually kind of obscure the yes. main conversation sometimes, yep. uh, which creates this real sense of of also just the continuing dramas around, but also just of how you can live life in a city and have these huge things happen to you and people will kind of allow you to be solitary in them. You know, uh, in the climactic scene in the movie takes place in the opera in which 
you know, two characters finally kind of like have a moment of understanding and embrace. And you see them kind of in this audience at the opera and no one else is looking at them because they're all watching the opera, you know? And I think that that's like, that was a particularly nice way to show uh, how these huge changes can go on in someone's life every day, operatic changes, but that they're kind of, they're not important or not not important but that the, they, they don't register we all live together yeah. but we all live together separately yeah you know coexisting but coexisting separately uh maybe let's just wrap things up with this question we've talked a little bit about the differences between the theatrical cut this extended cut which version would you recommend someone see first this is the version the theatrical cut is the version they can see streaming but should they seek out the extended if they can I think that you should start with the theatrical cut, though okay. I, I prefer the extended cut. I, I think that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it it does add a lot, including it does change your perception of certain scenes. Yes. Uh, there's a, a kind of major addition that like very, very much changes a scene that, uh, that you look at towards the end. But I, I think it, it is richer. Uh, that said, it's also more ragged. It, it feels uh, assembled from kind of material that wasn't all necessarily of the same uh kind of quality mm-hmm. and it's not as polished it's not as polished but uh, i do i would say start with the theatrical yeah it's it's really funny Rewatching the theatrical cut again i'm now more torn originally i would have said oh yeah you want to watch the theatrical cut first but now having seen the extended version there's like these gaps in my mind where i'm waiting for these scenes that i've seen that don't happen and some of the way the scenes in the theatrical cut are put together now seems kind of abrupt. I really notice how, how quickly the movie is paced for a, a still a long movie. It's two and a half hours, but they're covering so much ground. And some of the scenes just don't breathe as nicely and they don't, we don't live in these moments as, as well as we, uh, as we do in the extended cut. So I guess I would say, yeah, you can start with the theatrical, but especially if you like it, you really do need to see the the extended version as well. Yeah, and the extended version uses uh, like a classical classical score, like uh, opera. I think I prefer the theatrical uh, cut yeah. score. I really myself. liked the opera. I really, yeah, yeah I, I really liked what that did. Like some of the characters in the film, I'm not a huge opera fan, I guess. So that's Margaret, and it is available now on VOD and iTunes. All right, well, let's wrap things up now with our behind the eight ball segment. <laughs> This is where we do a rapid-fire countdown of three new titles, new on streaming, two titles that are expiring on streaming, and one random title from our cues. We just give each other a number, and whatever number that is, that is the movie we share with you. Allison, are you ready? I am ready. All right, here we go. Three new releases. All right. The first one is Gajini, which is a 2008 film on Hulu. This is the Hindi unofficial remake of memento oh yes. i've always wanted to see this no three hours long but uh it was the seventh highest grossing bollywood film of all time starring amir khan as a former businessman with enterograde amnesia who nevertheless tries to avenge the killing of his girlfriend using polaroid pictures and tattoos as reminders there are also dance numbers that was my next question <laughs> Oh, man, I got to see that. What is Okay, make sure you give everyone... How do you spell the title? It's G-H-A-J-I-N-I, right. and that is on Hulu. Awesome. All right, my next one is Warrior, 2011 film. This is new on Netflix. Gavin O'Connor's film about mixed martial arts, 
uh, brothers, Tom Hardy and Jill Edgerton, uh, are the brothers. They both get pulled into mixed martial arts fighting um, through basically economic necessity. Uh, Nick Nolte is their father, who is a former drunk, who basically uh, alienated both of them and is trying to make his way back, back into their lives. I really love this film. This is like a male weepy of the highest order. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think great performances from Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton and Nick Nolte particularly. Absolutely. Like, he gives good drunk. Yes, he so does. That is on Netflix. And finally, uh, Prime Suspect. This is uh, the original series starring Helen Mirren. It is also new and streaming on Netflix. You know, a kind of classic uh, UK police procedural. The great performance by Helen Mirren as DCI Jane Tennyson, who, uh, you know, starts off being focused on the fact that she's female in a heavily male profession, but also she's it's just such an interesting, rich character. The season numbers are a little weird on Netflix, but I think what they have is the first three seasons or series, which would be 1991 through 93. And NBC did a version with Maria Bello that got canceled, but actually kind of grew on me, unfortunately, after it got canceled. Okay, two expiring titles. All right, the first one is expiring on August 18th, and that is Election, Johnny Toe's film about a triad election in which one man, played by Simon Yan, wins, but the other, played by Tony Leung Kafai, refuses to accept it, and then they kind of they get into this all-out war. Uh, and it's a really great kind of dig at the whole BS behind the, the whole honor and rituals of the triad. So that's expiring from Netflix on August 18th. The other one is also expiring on August 18th, and it is Battle in Heaven, controversial 2005 film from Carlos Regadas uh, about... A Mexican man who works for a general... Giving a plot summary of this is almost impossible. <laughs> Basically, there's like a kidnapping plot gone wrong. And there's the something, wealthy... Something. The, the daughter of the general who's become a prostitute. Uh, this is a really, really interesting film. Not one to watch with the whole family. No. Don't, do not recommend watching that with the kids or your parents no. if you are an adult. No. Um, uh, unsimulated and, you know often deliberately not attractive sets. So, yeah. That is Battle in Heaven, and that is expiring from Netflix on August 18th. Okay, and one random title from your queue? You gave me number 39, and the film at 39 in my queue is Caterpillar, a 2010 film from Koji Wakamatsu. It's uh, about a lieutenant who returns home to his village in Japan uh, during the Second World War, he's been like highly lauded for killing uh, a lot of Chinese people, and he's missing his arms and legs. Hence the title Caterpillar, because he's basically okay. a torso. Oh. Uh, his uh, not a se- not a prequel to the Human Centipede. No, okay. um, but uh, dark as well. Dark nonetheless. Um, and his wife has to take care of him, and uh, it's kind of a it uh, really is taking a dig at at Japanese nationalism and kind of like mythology of heroism military heroism i've never Haven't heard seen of it, it. Yeah, uh, i've never... heard it was it was very uh, highly lauded on the festival circuit okay. 2 years ago so i'm uh, looking forward to it caterpillar all right there you go all right well, now it's your turn i'm ready are you ready all right I'm ready. three new titles okay three new titles first up on netflix god bless america the new film from bobcat goldthwaite it's about a man with a brain tumor who starts Killing people he thinks are destroying the country, so like reality television stars and I think celebutants and that sort of thing. I haven't seen it. I think Bobcat Goldthwait is an interesting filmmaker. I haven't heard great things about it. I've heard yeah, mixed things. But not, not his strongest work. Supposedly. You've seen it? Yes. Okay. All right. So Allison says it's not his strongest work, but it's on Netflix. It's streaming. I'm curious to see it. 
uh, also available on Netflix from earlier this year. Also not a classic, but this one I've seen, and, you know, it's it's worth a fun uh, late-night streaming uh, viewing. Seeking Justice, starring Nicolas Cage as a man who's been pushed too far, Allison. And you know what he starts to do? He seeks justice. He starts seeking justice! <laughs> and it's not a person named Justice, No, he's not looking for a person named Justice. Um, it's about a man who agrees sort of at a moment of weakness to go into one of these uh, Faustian bargains where someone has hurt his wife and he, this man comes to him played by Guy Pierce, who says, we'll take care of it for you and you don't have to worry about it anymore. And we'll just make sure it, it, this thing gets this. The guy who did this is going to pay. And he says, okay, do it. And then later he learns the repercussions of what he's done. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's a masterpiece. I saw it. I did see it in the theater because I go see almost anything stupid that Nicolas Cage does in the theater. I did see it as a, as a, mat- as a matinee, and as a matinee, it was fine. So I imagine as a streaming option on Netflix, it will be just fine. It is fine. And it's Nicolas Cage doing, you know, his ridiculous shtick, and that's high praise. Uh, uh, available on Hulu Plus. Uh, from director Sam Fuller, one of my favorites of his, the 1963 film Shot Corridor, which is about a man who goes undercover in an insane asylum to get a story. He's a journalist and uh, just an amazing uh, thriller, and it has some wonderful kind of commentary about America in the people that he meets in the in the insane asylum who have all gone insane basically as a result of their lives in America at the time in contemporary 1960s culture. So that's Shot Corridor on Hulu+. Plus. Okay, two that are expiring. Expiring on August 18th on Netflix, What's Up, Tiger Lily? This is the first film directed by Woody Allen. Not like his other movies in the sense that he only directed the dubbed version. There's This is a Japanese spy movie that he actually erased the soundtrack of and then redubbed with his own wacky voices. There were better things to come from Woody Allen, <laughs> obviously, but I think it's an interesting footnote in his career if you've never seen it. Uh, So that's What's Up, Tiger Lily, expiring on August 18th. Expiring on August 22nd is a documentary I haven't seen, and I'm curious to see. I'm going to try to catch up with it before it vanishes. It's called Two in the Wave, and it's about the relationship between Jean-Luc Godard and Francois Truffaut. So that's called Two in the Wave, expiring on August 22nd. Okay, and one from your queue. You gave me number 15, which is the tomb of, I think it's pronounced Lygia. It's a Roger Corman, Vincent Price, Poe jam. Uh, This is about a man haunted by the spirit of his dead wife. I think um, maybe when the Corman documentary, Corman's World, came out a couple of months ago, which was a good documentary about his life and career, I kind of went through Netflix and was looking for different Corman stuff that I hadn't seen. And I have seen a couple of his Poe movies, but I haven't seen this one, which is supposed to be pretty good, actually. And that's The Tomb of Lygia. Now is the time when we give you our listener's choice picks for next episode, where you get to vote on which one we should review. And and this week we have a theme. We do. Um, you want to tell people about the theme? Sure. Um, every 10 years, Sight & Sound magazine, this British magazine, releases their greatest films of all time list. They pull critics and directors and ask them to give them their 10 favorite or best movies and then they compile all the results and they give you the list and the list just came out about a week ago as we were recording this and got a lot of attention as it always does for the first time vertigo came in as the number one movie of all time amongst critics uh dethroning citizen kane so we thought it would be fun i think the film spotting original recipe show will be doing 
I think they're going to be giving their own sort of top ten lists. But what we thought we would do is kind of give a the streaming side of things. Some of these movies are available on streaming on Netflix and Hulu and other places. So we thought we'll give you three options of the actual list of the actual top 50 that we want to talk about that we'd be interested in talking about. And then for Q Shots, we'll do maybe some of the movies that – either made the list but we really love or maybe didn't make the list but we think deserve to be on there so that's what we're going to talk about next week and so the all three of our listeners choice options were in the 2012 sight and sound poll for the critics and the first option is called the battle of algiers from 1966 directed by gilo ponicorvo this one is available on hulu plus and the description from the Criterion Collection, which it's uh, from on Hulu, says it vividly recreates a year in the tumultuous Algerian struggle for independence from the occupying French in the 1950s. And this was a film that had kind of fallen off the radar a little bit in terms of its appreciation uh, maybe 10 or even 20 years ago. I don't think it was in the sight and sound list in 2002, but it, it, it appeared on the 2012 list. I think because it was restored around 2004, I want to say, and had a sort of art house theatrical run and then came out on a Criterion DVD. And at that time, people sort of recognized how prescient it was, what an interesting film it was, and and saw all these sort of resonances with our contemporary political situation, the parallels that could be drawn between um, the French-Algerian struggle and the events after 9-11 involving the United States. So it had sort of this resonance that it hadn't had before. I know when I worked at Kim's Video, this was like the most popular title. It had just come out on DVD. We rented this movie constantly, so constantly that it was always taken out that I never got to see it. I haven't seen this movie, so I would be interested in talking about it. Allison, have you seen it? I have not seen it. Okay, so that's option one. When neither of us have seen it. It's The Battle of Algiers on Hulu+. Plus. Okay, option number two is Persona, the 1966 film directed by Ingmar Bergman, and this is streaming on Netflix. Here's their description. To achieve more effective treatment, a young nurse named Alma and her patient, actress Elizabeth, who has stopped speaking, check into an isolated cottage by the sea where one of them unravels. Oh. Yes. Unraveling. Unraveling. So uh, starring, you know, B.B. Anderson and Liv Ullman as the nurse and the actress. And I feel like there's probably no way to give this a better summary other than that there's a blurring of identities and that people still debate what this movie means. Uh, you know, it's there's no there's no one read. Um, and, you know, it's I think probably one of the one of the films that you most associate with Bergman or that comes up first when you when you think about Bergman. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, though I wonder, you know, I, I wonder if Bergman is going to fall out of fashion a little bit as a as a filmmaker, you know, in the way that these things ebb and flow. I certainly feel like I've read a few kind of critical evaluations of him that don't put him as highly as, you know, I think that when this film came out, it was so proclaimed a masterpiece and kind of like one of the highest achievements of cinematic art. So um, I'm curious to see how, how it will fare in, in like future cycles. Um, but, you know, so that's Persona, a classic, obviously. Um, and that is streaming on Netflix. Have you seen that one? I have not seen you this one. You have not one. seen that one. No. That one I have seen. I've yeah. seen it, but I'd be, I've only seen it once or twice, maybe it's certainly open to interpretation, so yeah. it should make for a good discussion. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any of the three that we picked, actually, yeah. including well, the, this next including one. the next one, which I haven't seen either. Uh, in fact, we don't even know how to pronounce the title exactly. We're going to say Yugetsu, 
It's the 1953 film from Kenji Mizuguchi. It's available on Hulu Plus. Described in the Criterion Collection as a ghost story like no other and one of the most beautiful films ever made. That is certainly the reputation I have heard of it. I've heard it is amazing. It is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's stunning. It's incredible. And I've never seen it. So, And Mizuguchi is a guy I'm generally not that familiar with and who has an amazing reputation as well. So I would love to see see that and start my education in his films as well. So we've got three really tawny titles this this episode, Allison. I know. Really, I don't think we could have gone wrong picking off of that list. There aren't a lot of like, ugh, that trashy film. That's true. Yeah, it's, it's pretty solid in terms of the canon there. That's right. So which movie should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to feedback at filmspottingsvu.com or enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, August 20th at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu. And you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on next week's episode, which will be on Monday, August 27th. Film Spotting SVU is also where you can find our show archive as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The Film Spotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. Listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the movie review you pick from the Sight and Sound Top 50 list. In the meantime, you can follow me and Allison on Twitter, twitter.com slash Singer and twitter.com slash Wilmore. And you can follow the show at twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from SVU listeners. We also uh, solicit suggestions, as you heard. All those uh, titles I mentioned from listeners earlier in the show, teen films, those were all from Twitter. So thank you, everyone, who's following and sending suggestions on Twitter. Keep it up. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.